Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time for another episode of Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With someone, well, she's, she's dealt with it for a while and have been around some others who have as well. Let's bring back our longtime survivor, Roberta Luna. Hey, Roberta. Hi, Paul. Good to see you. You got a full house today here. Yes, I do. And it's something I've been, it's like my dream because these two women are like my idols. I put them on their Rock seat. stars. Huh? It definitely. They're just really, they're like royalty to me. So it's really just a thrill for me to have them on here. And today I'm honored to have Pamela Marquardt, founder, and Julie Fleshman, president and CEO of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, lovingly referred to as PanCan with us. It's a mouthful when you're trying to make those phone calls and get all that out there. It's really, it can be a mouthful. Thank you both for joining us. I'm really happy to see you and really happy you, we can make this happen, especially in this month being the 25th anniversary of PanCan, how it got founded. And if you could, I'd like for you both to just to share a little bit about your parents' battle with pancreatic cancer. Well, I guess I will start. And, you know, it goes back to the day, Roberta, that, and I'll never forget this day, standing in the hospital room when the doctor came in and told my mother you've got a tumor in your pancreas. And I said, okay, so what do we do about that? You know, like I'm always, well, okay, let's get it done. Let's figure out what the answers are. And do you know that doctor just stared at his feet? I excused myself from the room, stepped outside into the hallway and recalled that that was the cancer that took Michael Landon. And I think most women in the universe were in love with Michael Landon from one of his shows growing up. And I thought, gosh, if he, with all of his fame and quote unquote celebrity, if he couldn't save himself, how am I going to save my mom? And the next thought that came into my mind, and you got to remember, this was back in 1996. It was June of 96. I had just gotten my first computer. My mother made fun of me because she was executive secretary to the dean of engineering at the local university. And I have to call her, Mom, how do I turn this off? How do I get over to this program? And so she made fun of me all the time. So I went onto the new kind of World Wide Web, and I thought, I will find the organization that deals with pancreatic cancer, and I will save my mother. When I went on, and searched, I realized that there was nothing out there, nowhere in the world. There was not a single organization dealing with this disease. So what I did find was a very small chat group that was provided by Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And there was maybe a handful of people on that chat at the time. And during the six months that my mom struggled with her journey, I saw more and more people coming, needing answers, needing to know what are the next steps? What do I do? How do I save myself or my loved one? And that chat board kept growing and growing and growing. And about that same time, I started noticing that beyond just Michael Landon, there were so many 
celebrities that had lost their lives to pancreatic cancer. People like, you know, Jack Benny, Joan Crawford, Henry Mancini, Donna Reed, Paul Mitchell, the hair guy. And the list goes on and on and on. So I came up with this crazy idea. There's a saying that says, you know, if you're too stupid to know certain things can't get done, you just do them. And I always say that was me. I, you know, had a mission and I'm a big believer in anything is possible. And so long story short, on December 8th, 1998, my mom had since passed after six months of a journey, produced the first ever fundraiser for pancreatic cancer, black tie celebrity gala in Beverly Hills, and we raised the money to open up the first early detection lab for pancreatic cancer. And all of the celebrity families were there. It was just, you know, talk about connecting the dots. I always say the universe, put it up to the universe and the dots just connect. And four months later, started the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And one of the things that I put up to the universe was please send me somebody that can help with this effort and help to bring this vision to fruition. Put that person in front of me. Julie, take it away. You're that person, you know it. So, you know, Pam founded the organization, as she just said, February of 1999, so 25 years ago. Um, And so take you back to late 1998, my father, had not been feeling well. He went to the doctor with some stomach pain and the doctor told him to go home and take some Tums and that he would feel better. And unfortunately, by the end of January, he was finally diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He was 52 years old. And quite frankly, we had never had cancer in our family, certainly not pancreatic cancer. I didn't, I had never even heard of it. I too went on the internet back in those early days and searched and said, I'm going to find the answer for my father. Of course I'm going to and searched and found very little information. And unfortunately, my father was given no options. He was given no hope and he died four months later. And after he died, I was mad. I just could not believe that there was nothing that could be done for this disease, that we were given no options. And at that time, there were very, very few institutions around the country that were doing anything in pancreatic cancer research. I mean, you could count them on one hand. And Johns Hopkins was one of the places um, that was doing some pancreatic cancer research. And so I called Johns Hopkins, um, and to their credit, I give them the credit to, to this day, one of their surgeons called me back and I ranted and raved about why is there nothing going on for pancreatic cancer? Why aren't you doing more? Why were we given no options? And he said, you know, there's this new organization called PanCan that was just founded and I'm gonna connect you to their founder. And he gave me Pam's phone number. And I can still remember the day calling Pam, sitting in my little apartment. I was still in law school and business school at the time, calling Pam and her telling me about this big vision and this big dream. And she was planning the next gala in Beverly Hills. And anyways, I ended up taking my family um, to that event in November of 1999, got to meet Pam, remember seeing her up on stage and saying, wow, 
this is so amazing that she's doing this and that she's raising money for this disease. And one thing led to another, um, and I was hired as the first employee at PanCan in April of 2000 and have had the privilege and honor of being a part of this amazing community for the last 24 years and partnering with Pam as we have grown the organization and really had an impact on pancreatic cancer patients and the pancreatic cancer field. Yeah, it was amazing because I actually met Pam before when I was looking again for information for my dad because the first time too I had heard about pancreatic cancer was when I saw Michael Landon. I think it was on the Johnny Carson show come out and say he had it. And again, like you said, I had the biggest crush on little Joe. I'm giving my age here. But, uh, you know, and I thought the same thing, you know, if he couldn't win, if I win this, what, you know, what are the chances for someone else? But unfortunately, I didn't give up much of a thought until a couple of years later when my dad was diagnosed in 1998. And again, then I started researching and founding the only thing that had changed, more people were being diagnosed and more people were dying. I wasn't seeing the survival rate improving at all or any early detection or anything and didn't know what to do and made the mistake also of trying to Google and um, luckily did come across the John Hopkins um, chat board and, and met Pam that way and, and got involved. And again, it's been one of these you know journeys nobody wants to be a part of, but so glad that I was able to find that. But as you look back on the past 25 years since starting PanCan, what are some of the most significant changes you've seen in the landscape of pancreatic cancer awareness and research? Oh gosh, that that's that's a like a big question too because you've got to imagine we started from ground zero. There was literally nothing really going on. Like Julie mentioned, a handful of researchers out there. So, I mean, we've been able to build a very robust research community for pancreatic cancer. Our patient services program that we have built gives patients and their family members a place to pick up the phone and call. And I know Julie and I have talked about this. We would have given anything to have somebody give us a number and say, here, there's going to be a friendly voice on the other end of the phone that will help guide you through your journey and help you make informed decisions. I mean, our advocacy efforts are second to none. We have changed the way the government looks at this disease. And then all of our community engagement around the country has given families a place to come and feel a sense of belonging and that they're not alone in this journey. And, you know, we say when people get together in local communities all over the country, it's like coming into a giant purple hug. And that really is how it feels. And there's so much more, Julie. I mean, I think, you know, and what all of that has led to, I think PanCan has really been the catalyst from going to nothing to what today is a, a robust pancreatic cancer research community. Today, almost every major medical institution has a pancreatic cancer research program that did not exist, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and what that's all led to is there's more researchers studying pancreatic cancer. There's more resources, both philanthropic private dollars being invested in pancreatic cancer research and more public government dollars being invested in pancreatic cancer research because of PanCan's advocacy efforts. And so because of that, new treatment options um, are being discovered at a much more rapid pace. We still need more and better therapeutics. 
Um, but there's many more options for patients today. We better understand that when a patient is diagnosed, they should get genetic and biomarker testing that will better determine what is the right treatment for that individual patient. Back 20 years ago, we thought every patient should be treated exactly the same, and we know that's not the case today. We're learning more about early detection and who are the individuals that are at highest risk. We can't necessarily test the whole population for, for pancreatic cancer. So how do we hone in on those people that are at the highest risk? We have a much better understanding of that now today. There are surveillance programs for families who have pancreatic cancer and if it's a hereditary um, gene. So we are absolutely making progress. The five-year survival rate, you mentioned that, Roberta, for a long time, it was just sort of flat. It, it hadn't moved. And since over the last decade, it has gone from 6% to 13% actually this year. So while 13% is still unacceptable, it's increased a percentage each year over the last three years alone and never has that happened before. So it's the rate of progress is moving much faster than ever before. And it, there's a tremendous amount of momentum and it's moving in the right direction. So I feel like we're at sort of the, we've spent the last two decades building the foundation, bringing in the researchers, raising the dollars, you know, we're building all these amazing programs. And now we have the opportunity, I think, in the next decade to really accelerate the rate of progress for patients. Yeah, I definitely wish patient services would have been around. I think when I first came in, we actually called it PALS. But I, I wish somebody, I wish they would have been there when I was going through with my dad and even with my own diagnosis. Because when my dad was diagnosed, it was a 4% survival rate. And the same when I was diagnosed um, a few years later. So it, it had not, like you said, had not moved. And when you pictured, you guys did a graph that really hit home with me because you took a silhouette of 100 people. And at that time, only four, if you were to go into a room, only four would be surviving pancreatic cancer. And that was something that just really, really hit with me and just made it too clear, unfortunately, I think. Can you share some more maybe about the early days of PanCan? What were some of the challenging moments that you, you've come across? Well, we have funny stories about That's what we you want, know, yeah. <laughs> the, the office space. And I remember, Julie, because I actually didn't come on staff until 2007. But we had this tiny little office space. And Julie, you got to share the story about the telephones and running them back and forth. I mean, it was it was we were a small little grassroots organization. You know, we had very little furniture. We At least we had an office space, but very little furniture. We didn't have a phone system. So we literally had, you know, cordless telephones back in the day when you had a landline, cordless telephones. And, you know, you'd run it around depending on where you where you were in the office. We didn't have a microwave in the kitchen, you know, so if you wanted to bring your lunch, you, you couldn't heat up your you couldn't heat up your lunch. I mean, it was it was it, we started from nothing. But I think that's actually what makes it so special that the heartfelt passion commitment that has gone into this organization, not only from our, our amazing staff team that we've built and have today, but from you know the countless volunteers, people like you, you Roberta, 
what you have put into our organization, our supporters, our donors. I mean, it comes all from a place of experience with this disease and a true desire to really want to, to change the landscape. And so it's just a great privilege that, you know, we've gotten to watch it change and grow and evolve and become much more sophisticated today, but to never forget those early days and what what has made us and I hope will always be the foundation of the organization. It's that heart and soul and that just deep commitment to want to make a difference. Yeah, I remember going to the office many times planning an event and you had one conference room. So we had to be really careful and make sure we were right on time because there was always somebody waiting. There were many times we were even meeting in the hallway. So um, it was nice to see that change. And I remember the phone just being there and watching everybody run around thinking, what's, you know, what's going on? But um, it's it's just an, an experience that I'm glad I got to be, I think, a part of. And because I think it makes me appreciate everything you, you guys do even more. And that's something, I mean, how do you continue? I mean, this isn't a nine to five job. How do you continue this? How do you get your personal, you know, your personal life in there as well as everything that you both do? I mean, you're both traveling. You both spend so much time. How do you bring it all together? How do you get through it? And what do you do? This isn't the most exciting i mean we don't have so many you know survivors like other cancers do that you can really you know play on that so how do you guys get through it what do you do well i would just respond to that and say because we don't have the amount of survivors that other organizations do that's what drives us every single day and this is something you know there's so many good causes out there that we all support but this one in particular when this disease has touched you a loved one an extended loved one a co-worker if you have been touched in any way by this disease there is such a sense of urgency and commitment to do something about it and i say all the time that you know out of all the people that are diagnosed every single year and it's that number has almost tripled. I look back at the numbers from 1996 and it's it's crazy. But out of all the people that are diagnosed every single year, so many families just move on after losing a loved one. I mean, whether it's too painful for them, whether they don't want their loved one being defined by the disease that took their life. But those people that come to us, that come to PanCan, wanting to engage, wanting to get involved, we all, myself, Julie, you, Roberta, we are all cut from the same cloth. We are the ones that can't just get on. And there is a tremendous power in that. And with that power, that's where the magic happens because you asked about challenges. I kind of feel like we don't really look at anything that we throw into a challenge bucket. We, you know, say, okay, here's something that has to be done. We're going to figure out a way to get around, over, or through it. It's kind of like what Randy Pausch said, that those brick walls are not there, you know, to keep you out. They're there to see how bad you really want it. And we want this really bad. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'll say it slightly differently. I actually think it's people who thrive on challenges, right? <laughs> put the challenge in front of me and I am going to fix it and I'm going to figure it out, right? And those are the kind of people that I think really thrive 
at PanCan. And those are the kind of people that want to get involved, right? They're people that want to make a difference in the world, who've had this personal experience and want to see, you know, how they can help. And I think one of the amazing things about PanCan is the culture, both within the organization, but also externally. I mean, Roberta, you've been to PanCan Purple Stride, you've been to PanCan Advocacy Day. You know, these could be really sad events, right? With, you know, there's lots of sad stories. There's lots of people who, who come and, you know, are, are grieving over someone they've lost from the disease, but that's not the case. There's this, this amazing positive spirit and energy, and you can feel that people wanna be there. They wanna be there, they wanna be together with others that have gone through something similar, and they wanna make a difference. And so I think that's really what makes PanCan so special, is our ability to take what is a very difficult, challenging disease and can be very sad. We, we allow ourselves to cry and we, we have those moments, um, but we see the opportunity that we all can give to making a, a big difference in changing outcomes for patients. Well, first, thank you. I, I consider it an honor to be cut from the same cloth as the two of you, so I appreciate that. But I do agree. I mean, Advocacy Day um, can be very emotional, and it is, but it also it's a coming together of all those people that are affected. And even though it is emotional, we all walk away feeling somewhat better because we've done something. We haven't just sat there. We did something. We shared our story about our loved one. I think that made a big difference. I mean, for PanCan to get a bill signed in five years when it takes other nonprofits quite a bit longer, I think is saying a lot. And also I want to give a shout out too. you guys did the challenge of COVID. I was so impressed by what you guys did. Patient services did not skip a beat. Can you kind of fill us in a little bit about how you guys came about doing that and what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I think I have to give it to our staff team who just through what was, you know, sort of traumatic for all of us. All of a sudden we're all, everyone's being told to stay home and shelter in place. And, you know, something none of us, I think, had, had experienced in our lifetimes. So that was scary and different and trying to figure out how to work from home. But our team just nailed it. You know, they knew that we needed to continue our patient services program. They knew that we had to very quickly. And if you looked at our patient services program, these were people who the call center employees were people that were sitting at a desk with a, com a computer, not with a laptop. So we had to order laptops, get these people all home and situated in a home office environment and figure out how to route the calls through. And you're right, Roberta, there was not one moment that the, the call center was down. It was pretty amazing. So, you know, that was just the remarkable efforts of a lot of staff team members, you know, working very hard and quickly to make that happen. But I think knowing that this is critical now more than ever, someone who's diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and this whole COVID thing happening, those people need us more than ever. And so having that call center up running with no downtime was was really, really important. But thank you for noticing that 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 that's um, that the team did an, did an amazing job. No, they did. And I heard from many patients and survivors. And for myself, it was nice to call. And I thought, well, what are you guys doing in the office? And I think they let it out. Oh, no, we're not. We're, we're working remote. And to be able to do that, and like you said, you didn't miss a beat. And it was very well appreciated from many who needed the service. So thank you for whatever it took to get that done. I know it wasn't easy, but it is greatly appreciated. 
Okay, I have a question. I know it's kind of probably going to be like picking your favorite kid or your, your favorite pet, right? <laughs> In the last 25 years, what accomplishments that PanCan has accomplished, what are you most proud of? Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a tough one. There's so many amazing things that we've accomplished together. I would probably say the getting the Recalcitrant Cancer Research Act passed in Congress, that was huge. That you, was stole, really... you stole mine. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Julie. <laughs> well, there's so many to choose from, though, but that that really was a big deal to get the government to take a different look at this disease. That was huge. And I, I think a lot of that credit really goes to Julie's leadership and how she's just, you know, she's like a bull. Like she does not let up. She sees what we're calling, I guess, a challenge and figures out a way to make it happen. And the troops went out there and raised their voices and stomped their feet. We all did. And they listened. They yeah. listened. Yeah, I think that was a great example of grassroots volunteerism advocacy does work. That if you raise your voice loud enough and you put the megaphone out there, um, that, that it actually does work. And that was just a tremendous effort across many years um, that, that was definitely extremely exciting to seek to you know come to an actual bill that was that was passed in congress i think you know for me to everything about patient services um i think you know and there's different points of it along the way but the fact that we are able to offer this service that I know is of great value to patients and families that are diagnosed with this disease and that we have what I think is state of the art, amazing information and resources to guide people through their journey. Um, I'm really proud of that and I'm proud that it continues to grow and that we continue to increase the number of people that are finding us and, and able to utilize that that service. You know, as, as Pam said, I think we both would have, you know, that's that's what we wanted when our when our parents were, were diagnosed. We wanted some place to call that would help guide us and tell us, you know, how how to to help our her mom and my dad. So um, that 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 program always I'm just every year I'm thrilled. The numbers go up and then the resources continue to, you know, get better. And, it, you know, so that that is really um, exciting as well. Well, and I, Roberta, I would like to just comment too that like all of these accomplishments, everything that we have been able to do together to create this momentum that is going to change history, none of this could have happened without all of the amazing, passionate, driven, motivated volunteers out in the field. I mean, people like you, people like Vic, the volunteers all across the country that continue to fuel all of this, whether it's getting laws passed or signed into law, getting things passed in Congress, getting sending patients to the patient services program so that we can help patients make informed decisions. I mean, so much of that is driven by our volunteer base and that we are forever grateful. We probably cannot say that enough. Yeah, but last year I made a good example of that, like another major milestone. We raised $17 million through Purple Stride events last year. 
totally driven by volunteers across the country. I mean, that is incredible. It's amazing. Um, and it's absolutely due again to loyal volunteers, supporters, and donors who, who want to be involved and engaged and want to make a difference. And I think Purple Star is a great way to do that. And we always look forward to it every year. Um, I wanted to ask you, as you um, celebrate the 25th anniversary, I guess we could say that, right? What are the main goals for the next, for the future, for coming up? What are we looking at? Well, let's have Julie speak to that because <laughs> she has just taken this entire vision and just created something huge. So, Well, we have set some very ambitious goals by 2030. So basically in the, in the next six years now, we want to continue to increase, of course, the five-year survival rate, change patient outcomes. We want to see that hit 20% by 2030. We want to be raising $80 million uh, as an organization. Uh, annually, and we want to increase the awareness of PanCan um, to 30%. It was 14% when we when we set this goal. And so, if you sort of think of those things in a cascade, actually, from the last one to the first one, we need to raise more awareness. We need more people raising their hand to get involved, to donate, to volunteer, to you know raise awareness like this on a radio show. We need more people um, creating awareness about the disease. That helps to fuel our fundraising so that we can raise more dollars. And of course, we want to raise more dollars because we want to invest more of that money in research and services for patients. And that's what then allows that five-year survival um, to continue to, to, to increase and change patient outcomes. So you know, that's where we're really where we're headed. And you know, strategically, our goal is to find an early detection strategy for pancreatic cancer and to advance new therapeutics for patients. And so it's exciting. I think we're on the road to be able to actually achieve those things and see it within our lifetime. And again, you know, won't be able to do it without the continued support of the public, donors, supporters, and volunteers, and of course, inspirational stories like yours, Roberta. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I did get an email this morning. I don't know if you can talk about it just real briefly, but about a drug that the FDA has approved for first-time treatment patients with metastatic pancreatic cancer. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and also explain what is meant by first-line treatment? Sure. So yeah, it, it is always exciting when a new drug is approved for pancreatic cancer. There actually hasn't been a new drug for first-line metastatic pancreatic cancer patients in a decade. So that's a you know big deal that, that there is now a new drug. So first line means that when you're diagnosed with the disease and you're going to start your first treatment, that's considered first line. So maybe you're gonna take one drug first line and maybe when that drug is no longer working as well, the doctor would put you on a, a different drug or treatment option and that would be considered second line. So it just means for a patient that has not had any treatment yet after um, after their diagnosis, but specifically for patients with metastatic uh, disease. So you know, again, it's a sign of progress. Every new treatment that is approved provides more additional options for patients when they're diagnosed. And I'm getting the sign that we need to wrap up. But before I do, I want to just ask you. How do you hope PANCAN will be remembered and what legacy do you aim to leave in the fight against pancreatic cancer? Well, I will just say that I hope people look to PANCAN as an organization that 
brought together an amazing group of people all over the country, volunteers, donors, people that come on board as staff, but just researchers, the scientists, the doctors, that we were the ones that was able to convene the communities and to propel the progress for this disease. Because we do things a little different. We really come at it from a comprehensive approach. And I feel really proud about that. And I know PanCan's gonna go down in history as the one that really got this disease across the finish line. We, we wanna change the story. Yes, the in history. the future when a patient or family has to deal with this, it's it, it's a different journey than, than what it has been and what it is today. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for joining us. I wish we had more time. You can't fit 25 years in all this space, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble over here, so I guess we better wrap it up. But I do want to thank you both for coming and sharing your journey with us. It's, I wanted to do something that they can't go and find on the website, so I think you provided that, and I really do appreciate your honesty and I know it's not always easy to talk, but I, I do want to appreciate that. So thank you. As long as you speak my name, I shall live forever is dedicated to Rose Snyder and Jim Fleshman, two remarkable souls whose legacies live on through the unwavering spirit of PanCan. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another reason to tune in each and every time for some living hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope inspiration and education for those living with pancreatic cancer sharing the real life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis and if you know somebody who's struggling to deal with it on a daily basis and they need some information or help you know where to send them patient services at 877-2-PANCAN that's 877-2-P-A-N-C-A-N for the pancreatic cancer action network for the OC Talk Radio Network, I'm Paul Roberts. Thank you for joining us. Hoping you'll share this story with somebody today and that we'll see you back next week as we continue our weekly journey we call Living Hope, streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.